Hello and welcome. I am Michele Matarazzo from the HM Sinac in Madrid, Spain, and this is the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. In this September 2019 episode, we have the pleasure to have with us Dr. Edwin Jabari, who is a clinical research fellow from the Queen Square Institute of Neurology at University College of London in the United Kingdom. Hello, Edwin. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you very much for having me. In this issue, we are going to highlight an article that you recently published in the Movement Disorder Journal titled The Genetic and Clinical Pathological Profile of Early Onset Progressive Supranuclear Palsy. This is a very good follow-up to the August episode where we discussed of the PSP criteria with Dr. Ali, and I certainly recommend you all to listen to it. So let me start with a very basic question. Myself and many of the listeners here uh, see PSP patients in our clinics, and they are mostly elderly subjects. So what do you mean by early onset PSP, and uh, how do you define it? So yes, um, you're certainly correct in saying that a majority of PSP patients experience the onset of their disease in their mid-60s. Um, our interest in early onset presentations of PSP really came from the retrospective observations by myself and Professor Hugh Morris and Professor Andrew Lees, uh, that in PSP cases from the Queen Square Brain Bank, there were a number of patients whose symptoms started in their 40s and 50s. Uh, and this really prompted us to explore these cases a bit more carefully. So initially, we defined early onset PSP as cases with a symptom onset of equal to or less than 55 years of age. And this represented the bottom decile of age of onset in 300 pathologically diagnosed PSP cases from Queen Square Brain Bank. And alongside these brain bank cases, we then applied the same definition to PSP cases in our Prospect UK study to give us a total of around 33 early onset PSP cases and just over 300 late onset PSP cases. So in our study, what we did was we compared the genetic and the clinico-pathological profiles of these two groups, and we also compared them to Parkinson's disease cases from the UK-wide tracking Parkinson's study. We also explored um, the impact of varying the age of onset cutoff point to define early onset PSP, and we actually found that the cutoff point that we initially used, which was equal to or less than 55 years of age, was actually the most effective at highlighting a distinct clinico-genetic group of PSP patients versus late-onset PSP, which in our case we defined as those with an age onset greater than 55 years of age. Perfect. Now let's talk a bit more of the study sample. To mm. study a disease such as PSP can be definitely very challenging for many different reasons. One is that it is a rare condition and therefore it may be difficult to get enough subjects. And uh, another one is that the clinical and the neuropathological diagnosis do not always agree. Or in other words, the in vivo diagnostic accuracy is suboptimal. How did you overcome these problems? So first of all, um, with regards to studying PSP as a rare disease, um, we've, we're very fortunate at UCL to have access to over 300 Queen Square Brain Bank cases with a pathological diagnosis of PSP, which obviously remains the gold standard for diagnosis. In addition to this, the Prospect UK study, which is led by Professor Hugh Morris um, and set up in 2015 and funded primarily by the PSP Association, 
has recruited over 800 patients with atypical Parkinsonian syndromes, including PSP. And we've got pathological confirmation of diagnosis in a subset of those cases. Now, the interesting thing is that previous clinico-pathological studies that have highlighted a lower diagnostic accuracy in PSP compared to Parkinson's disease have largely been based on the classical Richardson syndrome presentation of PSP. So in 2017, as you touched on in, in your question, the publication of their Movement Disorder Society PSP diagnostic criteria highlighted the different non-classical ways that PSP can present. And we expect that prospective validation of, of that criteria will show a higher diagnostic accuracy for PSP than previous estimates. And in addition, we and other groups studying PSP have shown that these non-classical uh, presentations of PSP may be just as common as Richardson syndrome. So the prevalence of PSP may actually be twice as common as originally thought, um, although, of course, up-to-date epidemiology studies are, are currently lacking in this. So in our study, all of the PSP patients were prospectively, so for prospect study cases, or retrospectively, in the case of brain bank cases, assigned an initial and final MDS criteria PSP phenotype. Well, that's certainly a huge number of subjects and is a, a great opportunity to study atypical Parkinsonisms. Uh, now, can you summarize the main results of your study and tell us what are the main take-home messages? So the first take-home message is that from our data, we estimate early onset PSP to represent up to 10% of all PSP cases. And this group of patients are more likely to have an underlying monogenic cause of PSP pathology or indeed a PSP mimic. So in our 33 early onset PSP cases, we found two cases with an underlying tau gene mutation uh, and one case with genetic and biochemical confirmation of Neiman pick type C disease. And the interesting thing is that even when we discount the mutation cases, our early onset PSP group still had a much higher frequency of a family history of Parkinsonism and or dementia versus late onset PSP. And this implies that there may be more novel Mendelian causes of PSP that are yet to be discovered. The second point is that the diagnostic accuracy of early onset PSP was much lower than that of late onset PSP. And this likely reflects our finding that the initial clinical profile of early onset PSP cases resembled Parkinson's disease much more than it did typical PSP. And we know that in life, these early onset PSP cases were frequently misdiagnosed as Parkinson's disease in early disease stages. That is very interesting. I guess uh, we also, as a neurologist, we are less prone to diagnose PSP in young people. So that can also influence somehow the, the, you know, yeah. the, the early diagnosis of these subjects. Yeah, well, This is very clear and very interesting. And uh, going through your article, I liked a lot this radar chart figure with the clinical profiles of early and late onset PSP and Parkinson's disease subjects, because it really gives you an idea of how early and late onset are different at the beginning and how they tend to converge with disease progression. And also in the sample of early onset PSP, they seem to have a slower progression rate. How do you explain these findings? 
So uh, yes, the, the the radar chart is is very good at highlighting our observation that the early onset PSP patients tended to present with more limb Parkinsonism and gait freezing compared with late onset PSP, and this represents the PSP Parkinsonism and PSP with progressive gait freezing phenotypes that are in the new MDS criteria. Although abnormal eye movements were initially less frequently reported in the early onset PSP group, it's difficult to ascertain how extensively this was looked for in those patients where the clinical profile and the age at onset strongly favored a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Our data also highlights how in the latter stages of disease, there seems to be this, as you've touched on in your question, this final common pathway where patients who initially presented with non-classical PSP phenotypes eventually resemble typical Richardson syndrome. As to why the early onset PSP patients tend to present with the slower progressing Parkinsonian and progressive gait freezing variants of PSP, this is still unclear. And although it's outside the scope of this study, one possible explanation is that the younger patients have more intact um, mechanisms of proteostasis that initially restrict tau pathology to subcortical brain regions. And subsequently, there's spreading to cortical regions that occurs in the latter stages of disease. This is one possibility that we need to explore. In addition to that, younger patients may possibly have a lower burden of vascular risk factors and therefore vascular copathology. And we know from previous studies that vascular copathology does accelerate the rate of progression in neurodegenerative diseases. Well, thank you very much for this explanation. So it seems like not only the early PSP subjects may be different because they may represent a different variety of the disease, but also that the aging process may facilitate the aggregation of other proteins and the copathology. And this may even be worse or overlap with vascular pathology in the brain, right? Exactly, exactly. So another interesting aspect of your study is the use of the genetic risk score, the GRS. You used it to define the risk of PSP based on different genes. Can you explain our audience what it is and how you calculated it? Yes. So, so often when we, when we think of early onset neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, we think of them as being due to single gene mutations. And indeed, as I mentioned earlier, we did find mutations in a small number of our early onset PSP cases. However, in some patients, early onset disease seems to arise because of the chance occurrence of many common genetic risk variants being carried by that individual. Um, so for this study, in each of our PSP and Parkinson's disease cases, we calculated a PSP genetic risk score. And we did this using weighted odds ratios for risk variants that were identified in the original PSP case control GWAS. Um, what we then did was we Z-score converted all of the scores and we use this to compare the early onset PSP group to late onset PSP and Parkinson's disease um, and found that both early onset PSP and late onset PSP, as expected really, had higher PSP genetic risk scores compared to Parkinson's disease. What was really interesting was that we also found a trend 
towards there being a higher genetic risk score in the early onset PSP cases versus late onset PSP. But the problem was that we were underpowered to detect statistical significance. So really what we need to do is to replicate this finding in the future with larger sample sizes. Well, this is a very novel approach and I think it is very interesting. I think that probably in the future is going to give us a lot of uh, information and possibly new insight into the pathophysiology of these diseases, which are very complex in nature and uh, therefore we have to think about the role of many different genes on the underlying pathological process. Now to to conclude, how do you think these results should impact our clinical practice and what are the next steps to better phenotype and treat an early onset PSP population? So I guess to conclude, we have defined early onset PSP using an age onset cutoff point of equal to or less than 55 years of age. And this appears to highlight a group of patients with a clinicogenetic profile that is distinct from late onset PSP. We've also highlighted that these patients tend to present with limb Parkinsonism and progressive gait freezing, and therefore they're often misdiagnosed as Parkinson's disease. So on the basis of this, we would recommend a thorough eye movement examination in all Parkinsonian patients presenting in their 40s and 50s, especially in those who are poorly responsive to levodopa. Uh, This, along with awareness of the non-classical presentations of PSP included in the new MDS diagnostic criteria, may potentially result in early onset PSP cases being diagnosed at earlier disease stages, which will allow us to give more accurate prognostication and also stratification of patients for clinical trials. Um, which, as we know, is very important in this new era of anti-tau therapies that are currently being trialed in PSP patients. And also, we would recommend genetic screening in all early-onset PSP patients for known monogenic causes of both PSP pathology, but also PSP mimics. And for example, Neiman pick type C disease, which we detected in one of our cases. Well, thank you again, Edwin. Uh, It has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And uh, thank you all for listening to this episode. And do not forget to take a look at the article which is available on the Movement Disorder Journal website as open access.